Filling in for Jason DeRussia, I'm Dave Schrader. I'll be here with you all week long. The talk and text line is open, 651-461-9226, if you'd like to weigh in or if you have questions for our next guest. I am looking at the messages on here. Some people just think I'm being angry today. I'm filled with rage. I thought we had some good conversations about some interesting things that were a little bit more lighthearted, but some things just fill me with rage. This next story does. As I have friends in many different industries, many different businesses, law enforcement, of course, being one of them, and have had remarkable conversations with law enforcement officials about a myriad of topics. And one day I was talking to a few of my friends, and they said, I said, what's going on out there? What's what, what's the hubbub? Anything going on? And he goes, yeah, you know, there's something that's really baffling us. There's There's this strange swath of news that just is not being covered. We're not being covered properly. We're dealing with the death of a lot of indigenous women. Um, and we, you know, we're not, we're not getting any, we're not getting any answers. We don't know what's going on. We don't know why this is taking place. And they were just as baffled as we were that there didn't seem to be the kind of coverage for these stories. And you know, left scratching my head. I've talked to a few people and some of the friends that I know from different cultures on this, and many people have many different thoughts. And I thought today, especially just kind of looking at the way things are changing in our world and what can we do to make bigger impacts and spread word and spread news. As I was going through information online, I came across our guest. Monty Frank serves as the chair for the advisory council of the Minnesota's Missing and Murdered Indigenous Relatives Office. And on May 26, 2021, he said was the worst day of his life. It was the day he was informed that his own daughter had been murdered. He is a 35-plus year tribal public safety responder and spent his entire career for the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe, one of the 11 federally recognized in Minnesota. During his career, his duties of tribal emergency management broadened into tribal community risk reduction by implementing culturally competent services and programs to serve all the tribal districts and urban area of the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe. He's here to talk with us tonight. Thank you so much for being here with us, Mr. Frank. Well, thank you for the honor and to... Uh, be part of your sir, be part of your conversation tonight. I will introduce myself in my traditional Ojibwe language, which is Bozu, Awan, Inhindagaz, Monte Frank, Indigo, Malax, Indujiba, Chiminasing, and Da, and Mukwadudum. As you said in your beginning, um, I have spent my uh, entire career service to the Malax Band of Ojibwe. I live in our District 2H Minnesing community, which is by the little community of Isle on the southeast corner of Lake Malax and belong to the clan of Mukwa or Bear clan. And as you said very clearly, uh, May 26th, you know, was the, was the worst day in my life. Um, as, as you said, because it is something that in this epidemic of missing and murdered relatives, not only was my beautiful daughter, whose Ojibwe name was Akwadizi Nishka Ishkadid Ikwe, which means she is a fierce, passionate woman or native Frank, not only of the May 26th day, but also in her young life, she was also a victim of human trafficking uh, between the ages of, of 14 and 16 also. And she overcame a lot of things in her life and the most 
unique part of the story is that in this epidemic is that I was able to find her alive, which when I spoke to a federal commission, the the fact of finding a missing murdered or missing indigenous woman alive was such a small, minute percentage of other relatives who have been missing or are or have been murdered with no answers for years. But on May 26, as you said so clearly, is the worst day and is something where in public safety for many of my brothers and sisters who have who've had to give the sad notice of a passing of somebody's family member. When I received the call from Nita's mother, I knew exactly what I was hearing on the phone of the grief and the crying and the wailing. And all I could say, because I have done this myself, is to tell her that our daughter is dead, isn't she? And she was. As a father, I can't even begin to imagine what that moment would be like for you. And and, and actually, you said it very well. And in this movement of missing and, and murdered indigenous relatives, this epidemic has been voiced by the mothers, the aunties, the sisters, the grandmothers, and with all the advocates who were there for me through her being human trafficked and who attended her wake and her funeral in our District 2 community of Anisanakwang, they say you have a unique story, Monty, because who do we hear from is all the sisters and mothers, but who we don't hear from are the fathers. Right. And especially one in your unique position of being a tribal public safety responder, where we look at this and can say this epidemic doesn't just affect a certain family in our Native communities, either on reservation or off reservation. This epidemic can affect any of our families. And this is why you are doing this, this talk today because you're hearing the stories of this. And you said it so clearly about the media coverage of this epidemic. When my daughter, when that murder happened in, in Brooklyn Park, you know, what I, at the same time this happened nationwide, we had a missing non-Native woman who was missing in, I remember, right, Idaho. And for two weeks, she got 24-hour coverage with FBI involvement and social media was blasting. Well, what's happening with her? 
my daughter's life of 24 years received nine and a half minutes of media coverage. So to answer your question, this is why we don't hear much. It's getting better because of whatever reason, indigenous stories are not major news. Which needs to change, and we're going to work to do that as well. We need to take a quick break. We'll be back. Monty Frank, our guest. And we've got more disturbing uh, disturbing, uh, aspects of this story to continue with and how many people are really going missing, what's happening, what do we know about this. We'll talk more with Monty Frank when we return. I'm Dave Schrader, and this is News Talk 830 WCCO. Monty Frank is with us. He serves as the chair for the Advisory Council of the Minnesota Missing and Murdered Indigenous Relatives. And although American Indian women and girls make up just 1% of this state's population, from 2010 through 2018, 8% of all murdered women and girls in Minnesota were American Indian. From 27 to 54 American Indian women and girls in Minnesota were missing in any given month from 2012 to 2020. That's according to the information and data I was able to pull on this. Mr. Frank, do we have any idea of what's taking place? Is this a, a purposefully driven uh, attack on indigenous women? Is it just that they're part of uh, a bigger landscape and there are many murders taking place? It's not necessarily directed at, at uh, indigenous tribes women? Or, or what can you inform us of? You know, in your comments, we also want to recognize not only do we have Indigenous women who are missing, we also have a large population of Indigenous men and boys also missing. And actually, nationwide, we're starting to see that we have more missing Native American men and young men than women in different states. So I want to make sure we are including them also in this Excellent. epidemic. Excellent point. Thank you for bringing and we, that up, and, and, and we look at, you know, where did this start from? And when we've listened to stories, and especially from those who participated in the Not Invisible Act Commission, who testified, and I had the honor of doing that in Minneapolis but listening to all the stories of not only Minneapolis, but across the nation, you know, the stories that we hear is this began at first contact over 900 years ago. And we call this in Indian country, we call this historical trauma. And this has been going on from first contact until here we are, you know, and going to be in 2024, you know, this has been going on unrecognized and and underreported, as you've said. But now, because of amazing leaders that we have now in the White House, Secretary, you know, uh, uh, our, our our Secretary of Interior has just been an amazing with with Secretary Hagelin an amazing advocate to bring this to the light 
in Minnesota, our governor and our and our lieutenant governor Peggy Flanagan, who has been so much by my side in this, and I had the honor of talking to both of them when they're here with the Malax Band of Ojibwe doing another uh, listening session for different project, but to have both the Secretary of Interior, Hagland, and Peggy come up to me and just connect with this and share their commitment and their passion to find solutions and resolutions and processes so this epidemic gets brought to the light and brings the attention and brings the media attention that it is so deserves for the hundreds and hundreds of families who have missing or murdered indigenous relatives who are waiting for an answer, who've been waiting for years. And in my story, when I have met other families, it is so humbling to be told that that I am so lucky because I know where my daughter is, which right. is buried across from, across from my house in the cemetery where where my relatives are also buried at. When other families are waiting ten, fifteen, twenty years with no answers, and living that every single day. What are government officials telling you about this? What are they actually enacting and putting into force that is able to show you some light at the end of this tunnel aside from, and I don't mean this to sound dismissive, glad-handing, patting you on the back and asserting that there's going to be changes. What changes have you been able to see? Well, we have seen on the national level because of the Not Invisible Act of 2019, and we have seen the commission's hearings. We are seeing that we are seeing the Department of Justice stepping up with resources and dedicated teams to assist Indian country with missing and murdered you know, women and relatives. And we have one of those now in Minnesota. Under the BIA, we now have special agents assigned as BIA MMU or missing and murdered unit. And in Minnesota, as you so uh, brought out in the beginning conversation, we, you know, the governor and lieutenant created under the Minnesota Department of Public Safety, the MMIR or the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Relatives Office. This is something that we have waited and families have waited for years for to see the commitment of the state level and the federal level to support all the 580 federally recognized tribes and the urban areas with dedicated support units to support families and advocates in trying to find an end to these stories of missing and murdered indigenous relatives. This is, has come you know, forward in this last several years. And we're hoping that this momentum will keep on with these resources to help our families, to provide resources for, you know, uh, technical assistance with investigations, with leads, with cold cases. This is something that 
as I've listened to other families across the U.S., this is steps going in for sure in the right direction. And we hope that this will bring closure for the many, many families who are waiting for answers. So for that, Peggy Flanagan asked me to be the board, to be the board chair of our new state office. And it was an honor to be asked for her and to see what we can coordinate with our federal counterparts to better the resources to families who have loved ones who are missing. I think there's a lot of misunderstanding and misinterpretation to the way that the laws are handled when it comes to tribal cases and law enforcement. Um, when somebody goes missing, what is the escalation? Does it start with uh, with tribal public safety responders like yourself beginning the investigation? Does it immediately go to the state police or FBI? How does it escalate? Now, in Minnesota... We have a unique relationship with what is called Public Law 280. In 1953, Public Law 280 gave certain states criminal jurisdiction over tribal nations, and Minnesota was one of them. But at that time, the the Red Lake Band of Chippewa retained their federal jurisdiction. They are what's called a closed reservation, which means they're under federal jurisdiction. And then the tribal nation of Boas Fort retroceded back under federal jurisdiction. So it's really unique in Minnesota. We have, you know, agencies which are which are under you know federal jurisdiction and also state. But all all the tribes have their own tribal public safety agencies within them. Some are state licensed and some are under federal services. But with that, it always starts local. Now, if if it's in the urban area of Twin Cities, seven county metro area, then that will obviously start with the metro agency that has been notified of this. And we are providing training through the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Relatives offices of the services that we can support those tribal agencies, tribal advocates, whether on tribal lands or in their urban offices. What they want to do is support, because we know across Indian country that tribal public safety, no matter if it's law enforcement, fire, EMS, emergency management, we always hear that staffing is an issue, remoteness is an issue, and just being able to, you know, handle daily calls. And this is across all Indian country. So these, our state agency is there to be a resource to those tribal public safety agencies to bring resources, technical assistance to assist them and the family with following up when a relative goes missing. And then if it goes higher with that one or longer, we now do have those federal resources with with the State Department, with, with the Federal Department of Justice resources and the Missing and Murdered Unit with the BIA. And what we try to do is coordinate with our federal partners working with the families. But it always starts with that local tribal agency first. And we are respectful to them. We allow them to always do their processes. 
And when and when a referral is made, then our, our staff does uh, uh, just does everything they can to support that that the tribal public safety agency, or it could be even an urban area to also provide those resources. So the state office is not a law enforcement office. It is one more of for technical assistance for intelligence gathering and to be of, of assistance to a tribal law enforcement agency. As a resource agency in, to help them and aid them yep. in this. We have to take a quick yep. break. Mr. Frank, can you stay on with us for one more quick segment? Yep. All right. Yep, Hold sure. tight. We'll be back. Filling in for Jason DeRussia. I'm Dave Schrader. This is News Talk 830 W. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod. There is another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. CCO. Monty Frank, our guest, serves as the chair for the Advisory Council of the Minnesota Missing and Murdered Indigenous Relatives Office. We're talking about uh, some just tragic numbers, things that are taking place that have been going on far too long, unnoticed, unrecognized. Uh, we need to make a change for that. Uh, I know we've got to go pretty quickly here, so just a couple of rapid-fire questions for you, Monty, if you don't mind. Uh, what do we know about the the relatives that are, are going missing. Um, is there any specific commonality or thread that we're seeing through any of this? You know, from the reports that we see nationally, there is really no particular formula or, or you know, ages or genders that go missing. You know, it's, we, we typically see it in more of the younger generation, more than the older generation. But there really isn't any particular formula to show you age categories that is happening more of because it happens so frequently. Is it that they're going missing on tribal lands or are they going missing in in public spaces? Where would most of this be taking place? As you said, it can happen anywhere, on reservation or off reservation. Now, at any given month, they said there's 27 to 54 American Indian women and girls in Minnesota alone that go missing. How many men in that same era? Do we have any firm, hard numbers on that yet? You know, uh, one report I saw a while ago that said um, either equal numbers or actually a little bit more for young Native men who are also missing. But that was a report many months ago. Okay. What can people do? What can we do to help make sure that this news, when it breaks, is pushed out, that it's kept in the news and kept in front of people so that these cases can be solved uh, more quickly and, and with better results? Well, I think we have really strong, as you said, we have our state office now of, M- of MMIR. We have our BIA and we're having our Department of Justice have those resources who can get the word out and do more for our communities. But we know that this starts at the local and especially those strong Native women who have stood up for generations trying to bring this epidemic to the forefront. 
our grandmothers, our mothers, our sisters, our aunties, and our cousins, don't they are the ones who started this movement, who stood up and say, no more stolen sisters. And I know they have, they have been there for me in my darkest hours, and they deserve so much credit because they were there before all these state and federal agencies were in place. I know that in the case of most missing women uh, throughout most of the states, there's there does seem to be levels and tiers of importance. If they are people that um, were addicted to drugs, alcohol, prostitution involved, they really seem to fall by the wayside. There's a lot less caring because there's not many people out searching for them. Uh, and then, you know, certainly it's been prevalent in the news and around the world that that uh, people of color have not been treated nearly as effectively as uh, white, you know, uh, Americans when it comes to missing people. As you brought up earlier and painfully in this is that when something uh, happens and with your daughter, you got what did you say, like nine, nine and a half minutes of coverage. But somebody else that went missing, uh, a white girl that went missing at the same time was in the news for months talking about this. Uh, what's it going to take? What can we do to shake to get that attention risen? And are we seeing that uh, some of the, the people that are missing and, and falling by the wayside, is it because they're they're being dismissed because of alcohol, drugs or prostitution issues? Well, we can read many stories across the U.S. and listen to stories. And this, again, comes back to that term we call historical trauma. And historical trauma unfortunately causes the social ills that you just said. And we have to look and realize that this is embedded in our genetic makeup. And we have to realize and provide, and we hope you will, more understanding and more training. You know, I am very fortunate that our new assistant DPS commissioner, John Cunningham, and I and Commissioner uh, Jacobson go back my in many years of careers. And, and John Cunningham, when he was the fire chief of Brooklyn Park, was on duty the day my daughter got murdered. And I, I want I want to clear too, just very, so very I, grateful for him for that. Yeah, I'm I'm not in any way being dismissive of people that are dealing with drug addiction, alcohol, yep. or have found themselves uh, trying to for, survive by doing prostitution. As though, well, we can mm. understand why they're not as important. I, that's not my point at all, and I want to just make that clear. Right. That yeah, I, I appreciate a, a that. A human a human being is a human being, and whether they've had issues, I unfortunately. Uh, suffered a, a massive loss of a friend of mine uh, 20 plus years ago that was murdered along with two of her children. And um, because she had children from a few men, a few uh, different men and had a substance abuse problem, it was approached. And I couldn't believe it at the time uh, by news sources of, well, what did you expect? She's got you know, she's the mother of children from many different men. She's been dealing with drug issues for, and it was almost as though, well, that made this tragedy okay, because at least it's not a good upstanding citizen. And that shattered me. I spent days calling media outlets and sources, uh, getting on air and, and you know, setting them straight that no matter who it, ha- who it is that's passed, 
if their life was taken tragically, it doesn't matter what their life was to that moment. This is a human life that was snuffed out and needs to be taken with respect because it's that lack of respect and it's that that numbing effect that we get from maybe seeing it too much that that needs to go away because we can't be numb to this. We can't forget about it because these people are beneath us or these people are this. There is no beneath us. We're all pumping blood. We're all flesh and blood. We're all walking this earth and trying to make it through day after day. And we need to watch each other's back now more than ever. And certainly the indigenous tribes of our nation have been treated poorly for far too long. They need to be taken seriously. And if there is this epidemic of of crime, murder, and mystery taking place, we need to start taking it much more seriously. And I hope that people are hearing the words you're saying. And as a father who lost somebody, lost a daughter, that that we we can take that into account and start to realize it's not them and us. It's not red, white, black, or green. It is humanity, and we need to come together to make this right and start taking care of everybody together. That would be a wonderful end of the story, but we know that this epidemic has a long, is still out there. Mm-hmm. And I know our state office and federal offices are doing the are supporting those agencies, but I always will say this this movement started with our strong native women who stood up to do exactly what you said to get word out, to bring it to media, to bring it to to get the attention it deserves. And this is the stories I have listened to for so many years of the strength of our native women in our communities. And without that, this epidemic would never have gotten to the forefront without their strength for all of us. Well, thank God for them and uh, for the work that you continue to do and the great organization that you're a part of bringing this awareness out. And, Monty, please never hesitate to reach out to me if there's anything I can do through social media, through any of my news uh, connections and anything to try to get these stories out so that it is being recognized and we are doing more to help our brothers and sisters everywhere. And uh, irregardless of beliefs, color, race, sexuality, let's just start doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. Well, I hope you would interview also, you know, each department's, you know, directors with our MMI office, with with the Department of Justice staff here in Minnesota, and with the BIA MMU staff in Minnesota, because we all are a team. And those would be very good people to interview also, because without them, we're not as solid as a team as we once were. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you for being a part of uh, this very hard conversation today and helping to open the eyes of many different people from many different belief systems and cultures to this epidemic of, uh, of murder and uh, missing people that need to be recognized. We pray that you have a good new year and that uh, this only continues to get stronger for you and more people take note. I really appreciate your kind words, and we have no word for goodbye in our Ojibwe language. We say Gibbawabanan, which means we'll see you later. So thank you for the the honor of being able to speak on this and and be of support to our wonderful state office of missing and murdered indigenous relatives and the strong staff we have and our counterparts with the Department of Justice and the BIA missing and murdered units. Fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. And we will make available the link so that people can find out other ways to tune in and find out about this. We'll take our final break. Stay tuned. Filling in for Jason DeRussia, I'm Dave Schrader. This is News Talk 830 WCCO. I want to thank my guests for joining me here today, filling in for Derusha. I'll be here again for the rest of the week. 
You know, I know some of the stories we cover today, they're dark, they're deep, they show kind of an unflattering view of humanity, but there's hope at the core of each and every one of these stories. The concept that people are still coming together, caring, not giving in to what seems to be insurmountable odds against them, still speaking out and doing the right thing to be heard and seen, whether it's people coming forward and giving information and keeping us safe. You know, as we spoke in the first hour, uh, when Tom was here chatting with us about, you know, there's a lot of scary things going on in the world around us. But he also believes that there's a lot of these things as a counterintelligence spy. He's seen how they play out, and a lot of it is is posturing. A lot of it is boisterous bullying from one end of the globe to the other. And that when we need to get worried is when it starts getting quiet and when the threats have stopped and the, uh, you know, that that's when we have moments. So there are still signs that we are not there. We're not that close. So we don't have to continue to live under that cloud Uh, It doesn't mean that we're in a place of complete um, peace and understanding, but at least it might help alleviate some of the pressure and stress knowing that that the news that you often hear reported is not always as dark as it seems and that there are people working on the side of right to try to make sure that we are going to be okay, that our families are going to be okay, and our future will be fine. It doesn't mean that we can do it without stepping up and being a part of the system. That's an important element to this. We don't just stand back. You you make your voice heard in your votes. You make your voice heard in how you spend your money and the places that you spend your time. That's what helps. Being angry and indecisive and casting aspersions and being part of just the loud squeaky wheel without entering with oil to show how we can fix these problems doesn't do anything better. Stirring the pot and entering the fray just to create more of a frenzy is damaging. That's not where any of us want to be. Although I know that sometimes it seems like that. A lot of people enter the fray that way because they feel lost. They feel like they don't know what's going on. So it's better to be a part of something and being a part of the problem is not the solution that any of us should settle with. So I hope that you will be challenged to find a way to step up and make a difference in your community, whether it's being more aware of situations like the indigenous people that are missing and helping to spread that word, or not just the indigenous people, but anybody from any walk of life, spread that word. Don't just wait for people to bring it to your doorstep and knock and ask you to post it. If you see the news stories, post them, share them, get the word out there because that's how we start to make a difference in the world and the community around us. When you see something, say something, show kindness. That's what we talked about earlier as well, going out into the world and being around and sometimes in unpleasant settings, it's you stepping up and showing a little bit of light and love that could make all the difference to the people that you come into contact with. I'll be back again tomorrow and I hope that you'll be here as part of this journey and continue along with me. I love hearing from you and remember that the talk and text lines are always open to be a part of the program. Steve Thompson is next bringing you the Lake Show from 6 to 9. I'm Dave Schrader. This was Drive Time with the Rush on News Talk 830 WCCO.